In this series, we're looking through the book of Ephesians. And what we find astonishing about this letter is that when the Apostle Paul wrote this to a troubled church, he writes about their new identity in Christ. He writes about who they are as God's new people, as the church. See, if you're troubled and confused, if you need fresh strength and guidance, if you need power, then what you need, Paul says, is you need to access who you are in Christ. To the degree that you do that, you'll have the power to face your troubles with God's strength and wisdom and joy. And last week, we saw in chapter 2 how that power resolves our biggest problem, which is we are dead in our sins. And today, we're going to see how that power now is going to resolve one of the biggest problems that our world is facing today. And that is, as a society, we're becoming more and more deeply divided. More and more, there's suspicion and bad blood against each other. There's less unity and solidarity. And instead, we have all these sorts of barriers and divisions between us, whether it's political or economical or societal. There's all these different things that divide us today. What do we need? We need peacemakers. We need people who will put a stop to this madness and begin a process of healing for us. And that's what this passage makes possible for us today. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul says in this passage that God has made peace with us and therefore He's made peace for us. Among us, He's made peace. God's breaking through all the barriers in order to create peace in a divided 
world. God does not just make peace with us. When you become a Christian, He also puts you into a new kind of human community. The church and this church, His church, is going to be His instrument of peace in this divided world. So, let's try to unpack that in three parts today. Let's talk about the divided world before Christ. And then let's talk about the peace available in Christ that we can have. And then let's talk about the resulting new community of Christ because of that peace. First, let's talk about the divided world before Christ. So let's start with this question. What's wrong with the world? Why are we so deeply divided? This has been our problem ever since the beginning, and this was not new in Paul's time. See, in the first two verses, Paul talks about the greatest division in the churches at that time, which is between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, here's a little ancient background about this division so that we can understand our modern problem. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with the Israelites, the Jews. And God gave them the mark of the circumcision to sort of seal that covenant. So, when a person gets circumcised, it's a mark that now says, this person now belongs to God. And it's a wonderful symbol. It's a mark of God's grace for that person. The problem is, the Jews started to use their circumcision as a way to condemn and exclude people. So you notice, when they started calling the Gentiles, or the non-Jewish people, you uncircumcised people, what they're really saying is, you're not part of this. You don't belong to God. You're not like us. You're out. We're in. See? They're using their circumcision as a way to condemn, as a way to exclude, as a way to put up barriers. Now, here's why this is so important for our modern-day problem. It's because every human heart is still doing the same thing. Every human heart is using something like circumcision to condemn others, to exclude others, and that's why the world is so deeply divided today. Now, to help us understand that, we have to go all the way back to our very first parents, Adam and Eve. Remember, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened to them? They felt deeply ashamed and greatly afraid and guilty. They were ashamed, afraid, and guilty, and they stood condemned of their sins. For the first time in human history, shame, fear, and guilt entered the human heart, and it has haunted every heart ever since. We're all like little children who did something terribly wrong. Have you seen a little child did something terribly wrong? They look afraid, right? They're afraid about what they've done. They're ashamed and they're guilty. And to some extent, every one of us is struggling because we feel ashamed about ourselves and fear grips us and nothing seems to shake off that guilt. So what do we do? Well, if you look at our very first parents, they took fig leaves to cover themselves up, you know, to sort of make themselves feel better. It was like a security blanket. 
And every human heart ever since then has used some kind of fig leaf, some kind of security blanket to cover themselves up to somehow feel better so that they can cope with the shame and the fear and the guilt that they're all experiencing. And we use all kinds of things. We're more complicated today, so we just use different things. We're not using fig leaves. We're using our reputation. We're using religion or money or good works. We're using all different things to cover ourselves up to somehow feel better. We're all using something to say, you know, I'm not that bad, I have this. I'm not that bad, I have a good name. I've done good things, I'm a good man. And you use all these different things. Now you might be wondering, well, what's the problem with that? The problem is, it's not gonna work. No matter how many fig leaves you put on yourself, the shame, the fear, the guilt, it remains. And the more you realize that it's still there and that at any time it could explode out into your life, the more you realize that, the more you're going to do what every human being does. You're going to start condemning someone else. You're going to push down someone so that you can push yourself up. So in the case of the Jews, they used their circumcision. They said, oh, we're the circumcised. Look at those uncircumcised. Thank God we're not like them. We're better. See, that's self-vindication by people condemnation. If I can't be good, then at least I'll be better than you. You know, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like those guys. See, that's what every person does to some extent. You know, the Jews did that. They called those uncircumcision. But today, you know, the Chinese call the Filipinos those wana, which translates to barbarians. Or this group calls this group those delawan, those DDS. Or the rich call the poor people those lazy people. And the poor call the rich those greedy people. And so on. And that's why we're all creating all these barriers. We keep on condemning and excluding others because we're unable to deal with our own condemnation. So if you're ever wondering, well, what kind of fig leaf am I using? Well, the easy way to find out is just to ask yourself this. Who are the people that I find so easy to condemn? Who are the people that I just naturally disdain? See, if you're disdaining some other political group, then perhaps your fig leaf is your political preference. If you're disdaining the poor, then perhaps your fig leaf is your wealth. If you're all about how smart or talented you are, you're going to despise, you're going to show contempt for those who have less. If you're all about how religious and moral I am, then I'm going to disdain those who are immoral and irreligious. See? See, it's one thing to, to be happy that I'm happy and rich or smart or good. It's one thing to be happy about that. It's also one thing to have some conflicts because of your differences, right? But it's another thing to look at the other person and say, look at those people. And you have bad blood and suspicions against them. You're already condemning them. And we're all condemning each other because we're all unable to deal with our own condemnation. The shame, the fear, the guilt, it's there. This is the fundamental problem of the world 
today. This is why we're deeply divided. You know, you look at all the differences, racial, political, economic, societal, there are all these differences, right? But that's not the main problem. The root of the problem is the human heart. And as long as that remains unresolved, we will never solve racism or classism or sexism or any other kind of bigotry or demonization. We need something else. The only solution is number two. It's the peace in Christ. Paul starts to talk about our peace and he gives us two kinds of peace here. He talks about our peace with God and he talks about our peace with other people. But if you look at these verses, Paul actually intertwines the two kinds of peace. One is connected to the other because the only way that we can have real lasting peace with other men is when we have peace with God. The only way we can have peace on earth is if we're no longer at war with heaven. Because the root of our problem is our condemnation. It's our shame, our fear, our guilt. It's because of our sin before God. We stand condemned by our sins. That's why we can't have peace. And therefore, look, Jesus is our peace. He's not just our peace with God. He's our peace with men. He creates that peace for us because he deals with our condemnation. Well, then how does Jesus do that? How then does that work for me? Well, Paul says, Jesus breaks it down in his flesh by being crucified, right? And the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law. Now, what does that mean? The law it's referring to there is the law that God gave to the Israelites through Moses at the Old Testament. And broadly speaking, that law, you have the moral laws and you have the ceremonial laws. Now, when you talk about the moral laws, these laws taught you how to live. Because God is good and holy, therefore, He tells His people to be good and holy. So how should they live? Well, these are the laws that told you that you should murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't take advantage of the poor, and all these different laws, right? But throughout the Old Testament, you see that His people, despite God's patience and grace, and despite the moral law being given to them, again and again and again, people proved that they cannot meet the moral law. People fall so far short of God's holiness and they are sinners through and through. Okay, so there's some moral laws. And then if you look at the ceremonial laws, these laws taught you how you can approach God, how you can go to the temple where God's presence is and go worship Him. Because God is holy, and His presence is holy, and therefore, sinners can't just enter in into His presence. Sinners can't just enter into the temple and worship God. No, it was full of strict regulations about who can come in, when you can come in, and how you should do it, right? So full of strict laws. So if you're unclean, then you can't enter the temple. And even the high priest, 
even after going through this elaborate process to prepare himself, even then, he could only enter into the innermost part once a year during the Day of Atonement, when atonement is made. So, on the one hand, you have moral laws, and then you have the ceremonial laws. And together, they're teaching us that people are thoroughly, deeply sinful, and they are very, very unworthy to enter into God's presence. In other words, the law confirms our greatest suspicions and fears about our condemnation. It's not fake. It's real. It's not just a hormonal imbalance, not just our imaginations. They're very real and true. We ought to be ashamed and afraid and guilty. But Paul says, Jesus abolishes that law. Now, here's what it means. That means when Jesus came, he lived such a perfectly holy life. He fulfilled the moral law completely. But also, Jesus says, he's perfecting the ceremonial law. He says, his body is now the temple. He is the eternal high priest. He's the sacrificial lamb that will be sacrificed. He's the atonement that will take away our sins. And therefore, here's what it means for you and me. The moment we called on Jesus Christ to be our Savior and Lord, Jesus takes away our condemnation. He puts his perfect moral record on you, and therefore, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ. But then also, through Jesus, you can now enter into God's presence boldly and expect grace because Jesus takes away your shame and he gives you his honor. Jesus takes away your fears and he gives you his assurance of power. Jesus takes away your guilt and he gives you his vindication, his perfection. Jesus makes peace for us. And therefore, through him, we have peace with God. But also, that means I can make peace with men. I'm no longer condemned. Therefore, I don't feel compelled to condemn this person who is deeply different from me. I don't have to do that. I can relate to them in terms of grace. Peace. Peace has been made possible. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means to have received peace with God, and therefore, you can make peace with men. And see, that's just the beginning because Paul says Christ does that so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. And here's what it means. It means when Christ makes you into his follower, into a Christian, he doesn't just leave you there. He places you into his new kind of human community, the church, his church. And the church is a new supernatural kind of human community. Let's look at that. Number three, the new community of Christ. The church is not just another human community. The Bible says the church is a new kind of human community 
that is supernatural in its peace. And it, I'd like to show you two things about this Church of Christ that makes it so different from any other kind of community. Two things. The church is designed by God to, number one, to enjoy an intimate peace inside. To enjoy an intimate, deep peace inside. And number two, it's designed to bring healing peace outside. So first, let's look at the church as it being designed to enjoy intimate, deep peace. Not shallow peace, not superficial peace, not just the peace that you say hi, hello to. No, it's meant to enjoy deep, supernatural, intimate peace inside. So if you look at the next few verses, Paul actually gives us three images that describe the church. He says the church is like fellow citizens with God as their king. They're citizens of the heavenly country, right? And God is their king. And secondly, the church is a members of the household of God. In other words, they're now a family with God as their father. And third, the church is like building blocks being joined together to be a holy temple. And now God inhabits inside that temple. Now, take note, the relationships here are actually becoming more and more intimate as the images progress. So, if you look, for example, our relationship with God is becoming more and more bonded with God. Citizens are live in the same country as the king, right? But then go to the second image and you have a family member who lives under the same roof as their father. But then the image of a temple structure is God inhabits inside us. He's no longer just with you, he's in you. Our relationship with God is becoming more and more bonded, but also our relationship with other believers is becoming more and more bonded. You know, citizens are bonded with other citizens by a social contract, but a family, a brother and a sister, they're bonded even more tightly, right? But the image of a temple means that you're cemented together. You're made into one. I don't know how much more bonded you can get than that. Every image that Paul brings up is meant to show us the absolute tightness and unity and intimacy of the church. God has designed the church to enjoy an intimately deep peace inside. We were meant to enjoy that. God doesn't just break down the barriers between us. He goes so far as to glue us into one. You see, as people who, who live with their condemnations removed from them, now as a community of that people, we can relate to each other in a new way. We can relate to each other not in terms of our shame or fear or guilt. No, no, no. Our relationships are now defined more by grace and forgiveness and love. And so there's a new kind of transparency that was not available before. There's a new kind of vulnerability and unity and solidarity that just was not possible before. God has made peace for us. The church was designed to enjoy that intimate, deep peace inside. 
You know, some years ago, my wife and I went to Japan for our honeymoon trip. And at one point, we were strolling through the busy shopping district of Osaka. And suddenly, I felt someone tap me on the shoulder from behind. And I was quite surprised and I looked over and I wasn't really paying attention. All I knew was this woman was asking to take a picture with me. She's not asking me to take her picture. She's asking to take a picture with me. And that's so strange, right? And it gets even stranger because my wife immediately recognized who this woman was. This woman was a popular Filipino singer. She's a celebrity. And she's asking to take a picture with me. And that's strange. It's usually the other way around, right? And later on, we found out why. Apparently, uh, this woman found me in the crowd and she saw me wearing this t-shirt. And that shirt had the lyrics of a Christian song in it. And it was a song that she helped write. You know, when I found out that she was a Christian like me, my relationship toward her changed immediately. It was like from night to day. At one moment, she was this strange, unfamiliar celebrity. And the next moment, she felt like a long lost sister. Do you know why? Because in the deepest sense, we were. Every Christian on the face of the whole earth across all time, you have with that other Christian a God-given capacity for deep, intimate peace. It's there. And if you give it a chance to express itself, you're going to enjoy that intimate peace with another believer. It's there. God has glued us into one. And therefore, we have to keep asking ourselves, don't we? Are we making every effort to experience that, to enjoy that peace that God has designed for us? And see, that doesn't happen by attending church events every now and then. You have to do life together. You have to be present. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be transparent. You have to be authentic with them. You have to relate with them in terms of your peace in Christ. That's how God has designed the church, and that's the peace He's made for us. Let's not waste it. Now, secondly, the church is also a new kind of human community because God decided to bring healing peace outside. Now notice Paul says that the church is a holy temple. It's talking about the temple, about the place where God's glory descends to be among people, to meet people. And Paul says, that temple is now you. That temple is now the church. It's us. We're now the meeting places where God's glory descends to be among people. And how does that happen? Well, Paul says, God comes to dwell in us by the Spirit in us. And therefore, the more you're filled with the Spirit, the more you're walking by the Spirit, the more you bear the fruit of the Spirit, the more you surrender yourself to the Spirit, the more you're being God's temple, the more God's glory descends on you to be among people. So when people spend time with you and talk with you, they're going to sense something different about you. 
They're sensing something different because they're sensing God's glory descend upon you to be among them. But see, this temple, this church, is no longer the same temple as the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament temple, you have all these ceremonial laws, all these barriers that prevented people from just entering in into God's presence. Now, this temple, this church of Christ, is defined not by those laws, but by the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is to go out there and to be God's temple to wherever people are. To bring God's glory to wherever people are. No more barriers, no more boundaries. See, in verse 17, Paul says, And Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. And what's interesting about this is if you look through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus never really went that far off. Jesus never went to the city of Ephesus and preached there. No, 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 he doesn't do that. Well, then what does Paul mean by this? The only explanation is that his disciples went there on behalf of Christ. His disciples went everywhere where people lived and worked and played. They went everywhere where people were, and they represented God's temple and they were God's glory wherever people went and they preached the peace of Christ. They crossed all the boundaries. They broke through all the barriers to do that for them, to make peace. Why? What makes them and what will make us cross the boundaries and break the barriers to bring peace? It's because they saw that the law of Christ is the law of the cross. It's the cross and resurrection of Christ and what it meant. What it meant was Jesus, even though he was with the Father, he was in the perfect community. He was enjoying the most intimate supernatural peace out there. But Jesus moved outside that safety and peace. He moved outside he crossed the ultimate boundaries. He broke through every barrier and he moves outside to be among us and to make peace so that God's glory can descend to be among us, to make us have peace. See, Jesus moved outside his community so that now he can say, to any one of us, he says, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Just come in. Just come in. Let's have peace. Let's eat together. Let's drink together. Let's have peace. And see, to the degree that we, the church, behold that and understand that and sense that in our hearts, the more we're going to be empowered as the church to move outside our small little circles and to go out there to cross the boundaries, to break through the barriers, to bring God's healing peace to wherever people are. Even to people who are deeply different from us, politically, racially, culturally, socially, whatever it may be, 
even to people we would normally have nothing to do with, we're going to go where they are and make peace. Because it doesn't matter who they are anymore. It doesn't matter. We just want them to come in. We just want to have peace with them. We just want them to have peace in Christ. Because Jesus is our peace. And therefore, let us, the Church of Christ, go out there and bring the healing peace of Christ to a deeply divided world. Together, let's do that. Let's pray. Father, you sent your Son to us to make peace with us. When we were still sinners at war with you, you sent your Son to have him broken down in the flesh to make peace with us. And through him to have peace among our other fellow believers and other people, Lord. Father, help us as a church, as a community, to cross whatever boundaries there may be, to break through any kind of barrier, to bring your peace among people. Lord, help us. Help us understand that we are no longer condemned, that fear and shame and guilt no longer define us, Father, but we live by grace. And may we also go out there, Lord, and show other people the grace that you have given us. Father, we pray that we may be a healing instrument in this world, bringing your peace to a divided world. We pray for your power and your spirit and your wisdom and joy as we go do this in your name for your glory. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our peace. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I pray that you experience deep peace. God bless you.